adolescent is the word I would use for it, debate every year. Well, we are young and free. We've got an excuse to be adolescent, James. But, well, yeah, uh, but we're young and free, but we're still at that, you know, storming up the stairs and slamming the door and saying, I hate you, you ruined my life, you know. Kind oh, of. so, so you, were at, you were at the Grace Time thing then the other day. <laughs> And based on my experience, the most vulnerable are women and girls. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. How good is Australia? Yes, you're tuned to the Six O'Clock Swill, that weekly watchdog against wokeness proudly made in Australia with Tim Blair, Fred Paul and myself. Nick Cater. Later on, we'll be joined by James Morrow, political editor of the Daily Telegraph and Sky News Australia contributor, who will be reporting on his recent visit to the US. But first to Australia and the shenanigans on Australia Day, as proud patriots like to call it, or Invasion Day, as it's known in the language of woke. January the 26th with the 234th anniversary of the arrival of the First Fleet in Sydney Harbour. But as you know, Tim, uh, one survey this week found that only four out of ten Australians could correctly identify the day they were supposed to be celebrating. Some thought it was the anniversary of Captain Cook's discovery of Australia, others the anniversary of Federation, which brings to mind Emmanuel Macron's speech last year in which he said, you're free to criticise history, but first you have to learn it. Yeah, that's a good point. We should maybe um, encourage that, you know, um uh, come up with some alternative history and say what we're really celebrating is um, the invention of Uluru or something. <laughs> They'd believe it. They're not smart. It would have, well, uh, the Aboriginal invention of Uluru, I think that was in Bruce Pascoe's book, wasn't it? Dark Emu, in which he. That's right, yeah. Though, though it was part of an early space exploration program. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. You can't really blame people for not understanding history when the left literally make it up. I mean, that's what Pascoe has done. He's literally made up this stuff about Australia being a, you know, the Aboriginal culture being an advanced culture with farming and trading and buildings, uh, as opposed to just recognising the absolute heroism, I think, of the Aboriginal people in surviving on this land with very minimal technology. It's not a bad effort to survive as a hunter-gatherer culture out here because, um, yeah, it's not, not an easy joint to live in if you don't have a roof over your head. Fred. Maybe we could say Jan 26 was the day they invented the boomerang or the yeah, spear yeah. or something. Well, I, I like it because it's the, it's the, it marks the end of a month of national hand-wringing on the opinion pages of The Guardian. Uh, it's always there, isn't it? It's a great way, isn't it, to start the year. Kick it off with like a month-long festival of grief. But it also, that, that's for The Guardian and its readers, but it, ends, it actually ends the month, for ordinary Australians, it ends the best month of the entire year. I wrote a piece about this for the MRC once, Nick, you might recall. The timing of Jan 26 couldn't be better. You've had, you know, at the start of summer, everyone feels this obligation to, you know, follow whoever's uh, touring Australia for, in the cricket test series. Um, you still got the rallies coming over for Christmas. You know, you, you, there's all these obligations at the start of the holiday, and then New Year's Eve comes around. Everyone gets a bit necked. You know, you've cleaned the, the the broken stubbies out of the pool. You've got some nice snags ready. Jan 26 is absolutely perfect for uh, the time of contemplation at the end of a great summer, the start of another year, and to uh, contemplate our enormous fortune to live in such a wonderful country. You could move it one week either way and it wouldn't be nearly as effective, in my opinion. I don't mind moving it one week later because that extends the holiday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but I agree with you. It is a symbolic end of the holiday season. Maybe January the 4th, or sorry, maybe July the 4th in the US should be moved to the end of August. Maybe that make more sense. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just on, um, on the rewriting of history. Did you guys see that story about um, the BBC going over its archives and uh, and altering them so that they sort of fit modern woke culture? <laughs> <laughs> Have they rewritten their rewritten their analysis of nineteen eighty four as well? Exactly, but like this, there's, there's literally someone at the BBC, probably a whole department of them, whose job it is to be Winston Smith. <laughs> wow! Imagine how the shame you'd feel going to work every day and. Um, you know, getting old radio programs from the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 
and um, slyly editing them or updating them and changing them. You, how would you go home after all that? Just what, feeling... what you have to do would you have to put like an LGBTQI character in the Goon Show or something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in which case, I'd say it would be Neddy. <laughs> yeah, but it's just pure '84, isn't it? I mean, it's um, talk about living the dream. These people. What are, are the, what shows are they looking at? Tim? Oh, the BBC, obviously, it's been around for a million years. And yeah. um, it's, it's a, a lot of comedy shows are very deeply problematic. Yes. Oh, yeah. so, so they're getting a once-over. Yeah. And, um, and uh, this was noticed by uh, a listener who contacted, other, uh, contacted journalists and said, what the hell's going on at the BBC? And, uh, and questions were asked. And the BBC said, oh, no, no, that's just um, entirely in keeping with... Um, you know, we don't want to offend listeners and we just want to uh, modernise some of the content. If they modernised that old, that classic old TV series Porridge uh, and included a gay character, that there wouldn't be much else. Uh... It'd be brutal. Absolutely. <laughs> but, that was uh, a very funny show, Nick. Wouldn't be funny anymore. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the BBC were all like, oh, no, this is all, you know, it's, it's all done in good, good faith, it's all good, but... The obvious question is, if you think it's so good, why did you do it in secret? Why didn't you announce that this mm. is what you're doing? Why were you trying to conceal it, you sneaky little Winstons? Yeah, our, our, our good mate Kel Richards came up with a great phrase in The Spectator this week. What's going on is, is, is a, it's a new profession called offence archaeology, in which you dig into the past and find things to be offended by. <laughs> There's plenty of those. That's all of history, isn't it? Most of history. But it's not just history. The introduction to this next reason for offence. I'll just play this song. I'm assuming that song's out of copyright, not we're in trouble. But look, um, uh, for anybody who's you know, not familiar with Australian rules football, uh, it is called Australian rules football. They still own the name of the country. Mm. Australian rules football is uh, a fantastic sport. It's like 10 times better than any other football code. Uh, only played here in Collingwood. The Magpies uh, uh, playing black and white. That's why they're called the Magpies. Same strip as Newcastle United. Uh, but they're... they're you're a great fan of Collingwood, aren't you? You're Collingwood forever, Tim. That's where you are, isn't it? Collingwood forever. No, it turns out that there is a um, there is a full stop here. It doesn't go forever at all. Um, uh, I think um, Hollywood sort of fancy types they don't get divorced anymore. They use the phrase conscious uncoupling. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think I, uh, this week I reached the point. Where I might, may have consciously uncoupled from Collingwood. Um, it, it's also, you know, there's part of it is, it's plainly part of it is my fault. I think if you look at a graph, uh, one of the lines is the grumpy old man axis, and the other line is the woke social justice idiocy axis. And when they intersect, the decision has to be made. And I think we reached that this week with not just Collingwood, but all of the AFL going in on, um, Invasion Day and saying things like, you know, we've got to have a, a difficult discussion. This is this is football clubs, you know, football players saying we've got to have a difficult discussion about changing the date. Now, the only difficult discussion any football team should ever have should be about team selection. Yeah. Just to elaborate, Tim, that changing the date is changing the date of Australia Day. Yeah. Now, on top of all the other woke stuff that we've had to deal with with the AFL over the recent years, probably the last decade or so, probably a little more. Um, all their various rounds celebrating various woke causes. Uh, I think uh, I think we've got a, a bit of a, um, a, a crucial moment here. So it might be um, it might be that you know I may watch the occasional game, but I won't do it with any particular passion. It'll be with the same passing interest that I'll show in, say, a Sri Lanka versus South Africa cricket match. I'll watch it, but I'm not invested. I don't mm. care. Mm. 
Fred, yeah. how's your situation with the Sydney Swans? You're a big fan of the Swans. Well, mate, I'm, I'm actually a couple of seasons ahead of you, to be honest. I was a member mm-hmm. of the Swans for many years, and uh, my kids grew up at the SCG. And in yeah. fact, one of them um, might have, if he'd stuck with it, might have actually played. He was in the Sydney Swans Academy until he was yeah. 18 years old. Um just as a as a quick aside, what I discovered about footy during those years is that the the primary purpose for of footy through throughout the you know past hundred years or so, in my opinion, has been for um, men to bond with their sons. That's what that yeah. was. That was the, the the best value I ever got out of footy. I've always been a footy fan. I grew up in Western Australia. I love Aussie mm. rules. I used to play it as a kid. Yeah. Um, loved to watch it and became absolutely passionate about the Sydney Swans. And my, um, my affections began to wane when uh, at a Swans-Collingwood match, um, which you may recall, Tim... We didn't lose those a lot. <laughs> when I say we, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to pull back on the use of, the, of, of that plural, aren't I? Yeah. One of the stars of the Sydney Swans, Adam Goods, was abused allegedly racially by a, a Collingwood fan uh, down mm-hmm. at the MCG. And after years and years of bringing my kids up to cheer Adam Goods and his fellow Indigenous absolute star of the Swans, Michael O'Loughlin, mm-hmm. um, we were suddenly, for because we found, or I found, Adam Goods's response to this supposed racial uh, remark um, a little bit obnoxious and a little bit toxic, mm. I was suddenly branded by half the country as mm. by definition racist and I'm not mm. I've, I've never been racist yep. in my life but because I I disagreed with Adam Goods on this occasion suddenly we were the bad guys and yep. uh, all of the AFL rallied behind Adam Goods and that was when I started to lose interest in the footy um, and we're, we're not alone Tim I think there's a no. lot of people like this the other aspect of the AFL this week Tim is this the women's player who's refusing to play because uh, she won't wear the pride symbol yes. during Pride Week. She's, she's objecting to yep. the uh, wokeism. From a, from a religious point of view, yes. She's uh, an Islamic, uh, Islamic uh, women's player and uh, she was invited to wear the pride jumper for the LGBTQ BMW people. Not wearing it. And... Um, and uh, so she's going to step aside for this one particular game when the jumper was required. But I noticed that no one's getting stuck at her as they did to Israel Folau. Yeah, where's our mate Fitzy on this one, Tim? Have you have you heard? Has anyone heard from him? Yeah, well, no, no. Fitzy's got his own problems. He's got his own problems this week. He um he mentioned on Twitter that uh, <laughs> uh, he no longer wears the red bandana. Oh, and he was um, really and uh, he's ex- explaining it to some of his followers that. Uh, no, he just got bored with uh, wearing it, so he stopped wearing it. And um, at one point, he uh, he said that the mockery that he received and the rage and the hate <laughs> had ma- had made it had given him a better understanding of the vulnerable in our community. He identifies as vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, James Morrow will be joining us shortly after this break. Now I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast uh, James Morrow. James is the federal political editor of the Daily Telegraph and a very fine job he does there. And in his spare time, he is on about 10 times a night on Sky News telling us uh, all sorts of interesting things. Plus, of course, one of the three marvellous hosts of that fantastic show, Sunday Mornings, The Outsiders. James, welcome to The Six O'Clock Swill. Great to be here, guys. Now, you've just, uh, you're just back from your, your, uh, your country of birth, the United States, and we'd love to talk to you about everything that went on there. But first, um, we've been talking about Australia Day. Uh, and like me, you, you, um, under, we'll be talking later about Kamala Harris and her explanation for who fits into the category the most vulnerable. You and I do. We're both migrants, so we're in that category. Great migrant success stories we are, Nick. Fantastic. Yes. Arrived penniless off the boat and look what we've made of our <laughs> lives. But uh, what are your feelings towards Australia? I mean, for me, I, I've got the feeling, well, you know, they used to throw that line, you you flew here, we grew here. I turned that round. You grew here, we flew here. Like, we chose the place, didn't we? We chose it out of, you know... 
200 odd countries in the world, we decided this was the best bloody place on earth to live. Well, I mean, look, it was a close run between this and Djibouti, but, uh, you know, we <laughs> wind up uh, winning out in the end, just, you know, due to sort of various personal circumstances. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, Australia is, it's a funny thing because we go through this weird thing every year. And I don't think there's any country in the world that goes through such an absolute hand-wringing nightmare about its national day um, as uh, as Australia does. It's funny, though. I was reading an interesting piece by Henry Ergas, um, the great boffin in The Australian Today, where he talks about how the French actually went through an awful lot of that before they kind of settled on January 14th. So, you know, though as somebody who thinks the French Revolution is probably the worst thing that ever happened in history, I think they've got a lot more reckoning to do with their national mm. day than... Um, than we do. And I think it's a fascinating thing here, you know, the way that we we go through this. And I think it's because we're, it's not so much that we're not able to be honest with ourselves about our past, um, you know, and the fact that, yeah, of course, unfortunate things happen. Uh, and, you know, in many ways, when the first fleet showed up, it wasn't great for uh, the people who were already living here. But, you know, it's this inability to recognize that that is essentially the history of pretty much, you know, every nation, if you go are back enough and that uh you know the interesting thing is you can go back i'm sure you can go back uh in the family histories of every single person on this uh podcast and find dispossession whether it's you know highland clearances in scotland or um you know nonsense in uh some other part of the world or whatever um you know nobody's innocent and i think you have to to recognize that and i think once you start to recognize that then you you get into a better place but people are unwilling to actually come to terms with that fact and so i think that's why we wind up with this sort of you know adolescent is the word i would use for it um debate every year well we are young and free we've got an excuse to be adolescent james but well, yeah uh, but we're young and free but we're still at that you know storming up the stairs and slamming the door and saying i hate you you ruined my life you know kind oh of so thing. so you were at you were at the grace time thing then the other day <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I missed my invitation to the lodge for that. I, I was wondering what happened when she stormed inside, but I think you just captured it. But yeah. the thing that gets me about the people who complain about, you know, the date and so on and Australia Day and Australia in general, that same group of people, the Venn diagram with them and people who support multiculturalism would be a circle. Yes. Now, how do you get multiculturalism unless you have more than one culture? Yes, exactly right. I mean, look, that's one of the, the many things. But, you know, I always love playing, you know, the Venn diagram game yeah. uh, with this. I mean, you know, you talk about Grace Tame. I had a, you know, I was just like the other morning, I looked onto Twitter and Jane Norman, who is a very good reporter at the ABC, was yep. trending. And apparently um, she had said something unkind about Anthony Albanese's speech at the National Press Club. And of course, then she was getting absolutely torn apart by all the lefties on Twitter who <laughs> 18, 12 hours before had always like, Grace Tape does not owe you her smile. She can be rude <laughs> if she wants to. And then now, you know, as soon as, you know, Jay Norman comes along and says, you know, I'm not really sure Alba really hit the mark on some of these ideas for Australia. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, oh my God, the ABC has been infested by some Murdoch takeover. What's going on? Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and, and they've got, you know, absolutely no historical memory. But I mean, it is, it's, it's almost, you know, four legs good, two legs bad type of Orwellian just yeah. gear shifting with all of these things. It's the same thing, you know, with this multiculturalism thing. It's the same thing with how, you know, last year or the year before, I forget exactly when, um, you know, a footballer's religious views uh, when it came to homosexuality were absolutely, you know, to be forbidden and never to be spoken about. And now you've got a Muslim uh, woman footballer uh, from Sydney who doesn't want to wear the Pride logo on yep. her jersey. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, bless, we can accept all sorts of views here, you know. Mm. Um, so somebody tell that to Israel Falau. Well, I, I was taken by the, the frightening confrontation on the project uh, this week in the wake of uh, Grace Tame's scowl-a-thon. Um, uh, Peter Van Onselen had turned up to um, defend himself after he'd uh, written that um, Grace Tame's behaviour was childish. And a dispute broke out. Carrie Bickmore took exception to Peter's words. And Amy Ramikas, I think is yes, that yep, 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 yep. Uh, She was also on that panel. And uh, she, this is what I'm reading from uh, a report. After the event, 
uh, Amy Ramekis thanked Bickmore for her bravery in confronting. <laughs> now I'm not, not sure that actually. I'm not sure that actually qualifies as, as bravery. I'm not sure you have to be all that brave to have it go. Peter's a very polite person. Yeah. But, wait, but was it stunning and brave? Was it stunning and brave? No, no, it didn't qualify as stunning and brave. That's next level. But yeah. it was certainly, it was it, it was bravery because, you know. What did she think he was going to do? Come across the bar at her? Yeah. <laughs> Boy! <laughs> yeah, yeah, Peter Van Onslen, gang leader. Yeah, 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 you know. PVO is bad dude, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's the corn pop of Channel Ten, <laughs> and he had a chain, you know, and it was a rusty chain, and uh, and you know he'd go on the project, and uh, you'd go go to the lodge, and you'd be rude to the prime minister, and and uh, yeah. So look, uh, yeah, you're in America. Yeah. Yeah, I've been watching some of the coverage of what's been happening in Australia through American eyes, and they seem. Well, should I say rather dismayed by the way we've handled COVID here? Would that be true? Yeah, I mean, look, it was pretty incredible. Um, everywhere we went um, across the U.S., and we were in New York, and we were down in um, the southeast around South Carolina and Georgia and uh, out west in California. And, you know, time and time again, when they found out you lived in Australia, you'd get the same reaction. And it was, what the hell happened to you guys down there? Like, like they really, um, you know, the news out of Australia the last two years um, has sat entirely at odds with Americans' image of Australia. Americans love Australia. They love Australians. And anybody, um, you know, who's ever either traveled to the U.S. from Australia or encountered Americans out here knows, you know, they just absolutely love Australians. They, they think, you know, feel very simpatico with Australians. Australia is always like a top travel destination. They always say dream travel destination. One day I want to go to Australia, you know, that's always something you hear. And, um, you know, they're, and they're just absolutely stunned by what's going on and the overreach. And the funny thing is that, like, you go there and you talk to people and even in the most neurotic sort of Karen central places, you would think like New York, you know, the general attitude is Omicron is over, the pandemic's over. If I haven't gotten it, I'm going to get it. I may as well go lick doorknobs so that I can get this um, not terribly um, virulent variant of the thing and just get on with my life. And, yeah. um, you know, and here there's still, you know, I was watching the, um, the coverage and reading the newspapers here every single day. Case counts and Kerry Chant, rah, 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 the whole the whole time. And none of the newspapers, not even New York, really put COVID in the first five or seven pages most yeah. days. Um, and that was an interesting thing. And then you go to someplace like, boy, I'll tell you what, you go to Charleston, South Carolina or someplace like that, and, you know, you're partying like it's 2019 again. Like, you know, nobody, nobody's doing anything. and uh, And only in the most sort of, you know, tourist central places where they're going to get Karens from up north, um, you know, coming in. Do they demand masks or if it's someplace it's like federal property, like, um, you know, Civil War battlefield monument or something like that. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, like they're just getting on with their life. You must have honed your response, though, after a week or so. Now, be honest. How did you, what did you say? How did you explain this shift in the Australian character to your, uh, your brethren back home? Well, I explained it to say that actually, like, it wasn't a shift in character. It's just something that's always been there under the surface. And, you know, while we were there, uh, the whole um, Novak Djokovic thing was playing out. And everybody, when that was all playing out, like, literally bartenders would be like, what's going on with this Djokovic thing? You know, because that was actually really big news. That was, you know, I think on the front page of the New York Times and things like that, because it was, like, just so incongruous and bizarre. And, um... And I explained to them, I said, well, you go back, go back and remember your Simpsons. You go look at that 1995 episode um, where they uh, they went to Australia and Bart got the boot. And somehow yeah. back then they managed to identify this funny thing. You know, we saw it in 1974 with Sinatra. We've seen it time and time again where the whole country right left just unifies around some, you know, foreign um, being or foreign person and um just has to expel the country the, the person from the country and i and and without getting too sort of philosophical about it i do think you know because australia is a small country population wise um yeah you know and we have kind of a national mythology which keeps us going keeps us together and all of our mateship stuff but then you know obviously there's a lot of tension underneath the surface yeah. of australia and 
you know, I mean, like just park the wrong way on a street in the inner west and see the quality of the post-it notes on your windscreen. And you understand <laughs> that there's actually a lot of tension, you know, underneath the surface here. So every now and then, you know, just as in the Old Testament, um, you know, we find somebody, a, a Novak Djokovic, and we heap all of the sins. And right now it's all of the sins of the last two years when, you know, we forced ourselves to do really stupid stuff for two years um, to try and prevent a respiratory disease from spreading. Um, you know, we put all that tension on this one guy and expel him from the country. And that's, that's, that's I think, you know, what that was about. And so I just sort of, you know, use a good old um, Simpsons analogy. And, uh, you know, that's the common language between Australia and America. The Simpsons, at least the first six or so Simpson seasons before they went and got all woke and Lisa took over the damn show. Clive James put it more succinctly than anyone. He said it's not that uh, Australians are descended from convicts, it's that half of them are descended from prison wardens. Yeah. But here's how weird things are now, James. I mean, uh, in terms of uh, global perceptions of different cultures, we've always had the image, at least, of being a rebellious and uh, and rule-breaking population. And uh, the reality is a little different. Yeah. Whereas Canada has always been perceived as timid and polite. Well, they've chucked that out the window this week, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, this 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 trucking convoy. Gosh, who doesn't like a good old trucking convoy? And I hope. Oh, you got to have a convoy. I, I love a convoy, and I mean, um, and I hope you're going to put the convoy song, uh, you know, over the top of this uh, this discussion. <laughs> maybe a little sort of you know banjo chase music or something like that. You know. Um, exactly. So yeah. Go yeah. along over this. We can fix that. Production. With a bit, a bit of a Quebec yeah, 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 kind yeah, of yeah, accent yeah. Uh, sort of motif on it as well. Leads <laughs> the convoy. You got spooky on your tail, eh? You got spooky on your tail, eh? <laughs> With the county mountains, eh? Yeah, we're, we're protesting, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's actually really fascinating. And, um, you know, the, Canada is a country that's gone, I think, even more loopy than I think Australia has. And it really goes to show, and you're seeing this not just here, you're seeing this all over Europe, you're seeing Canada. Um, you know, at some point, people just get really jack yep. of all of this stuff. And they do understand, I think, that, you know, once you start doing these sorts of restrictions for a virus yep. that now in a highly vaccinated population, let's put that caveat yep. out there just, you know, so we don't get in trouble. But, but you know, a highly vaccinated population, this is now looking more and more close to a bad flu season. Um, you know, when you're restricting life on that basis and really you can restrict you know, freedoms um, on any basis. And we've had a horrible thing, I think, here in Australia where, you know, the word freedom has taken a beating and you see this mm. idiotic thing where people spell it freedom, yeah. yeah. D-U-M-B, you know, as if, like, you know, your God-given rights to exist are somehow a, um, you know, some moronic knuckle-dragging, um, you know, sort of idea. And I, that's 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 really bad, but I'm seeing, I, I think we're seeing some pushback on it. I mean, look at the Netherlands, where they had yeah. massive protests, and now they've just said, yeah. Well, what about Canada? Like, like, it's terrific. The last people on Earth that you want to upset, the last people you want to antagonise to the point where they rise up in protest would be angry ice hockey fans <laughs> who are in control of hundreds of tonnes of metal. <laughs> And 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 maple oh yes, syrup. don't forget that. Yes, uh, yeah. you, know, you know Canada has a maple syrup sort of emergency supply. Strategic exactly. reserve. They have a strategic <laughs> reserve. Yeah, yeah. I love those crazy guys. And there was actually there was a, a a great tragedy many about a century ago, where a huge warehouse full of maple syrup it was stolen. Like, oh no no no! It, it, it like the there was like a dam of maple syrup that essentially went and flooded a town, and I think no, some I, died, I think that was but, molasses, uh, and I think it was Boston. No, it was actually Collingwood, and it was Vegemite. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll Google this yeah. after the show. No, no, the, 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 I yeah. think just not to get too far off the topic of, uh, of but everything. But the same thing could happen with maple syrup, and that's the point. So, you know. Well, the, the biggest robbery in terms of cash value in the history of Canada was uh, when someone stole all the maple syrup from their strategic reserve. Well, not Fort Knox, but Fort Knox. Look, America's yes. not without its own problems, right? And, and uh, uh, you know, we have every reason. They're, they're, they're looking askew at us. We have every reason to look askew at the fact they've got an incompetent, possibly incontinent, uh, certainly cognitively declining president uh, who has an agenda which is entirely driven by woke and a vice president who's even woker and... Um, 
you know, he, he's uh, aiding and abetting, it seems to me, or at least encouraging some of the world's tyrants to move in and invade neighbouring countries. We've got every reason to say to them, look, you get your act together. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, for all of the, <clears throat> you know, more sort of, you know, advanced and, you know, better thinking about COVID that they may have at the moment, um, you know, everything else over there politically is an absolute mess. And I'll tell you what, people there, the conversations, once you get beyond COVID, the people there are really furious. Yes, you're absolutely right, Nick, what you say about Joe Biden. He is um, incompetent. He is incontinent, uh, at least if the stories that I've heard about him and Pope Francis <laughs> getting together are true. Um, and of course, Kamala Harris is just an absolute horror show, a nightmare. They are now uh, hurtling towards such electoral annihilation at the um, November midterms that Joe Biden is thinking about uh, starting war with the Russians in an, in, in an attempt to maybe distract some people and get get votes, which, um, you know, who doesn't like a bit of thermonuclear war to uh, to get the votes going? It's like that old movie, isn't it? Wag the dog. What a marvellous movie that was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The real problems, though, that people have are inflation, which is through the roof. Everybody talks about that. You can see it. You rent a car. It costs a fortune to fill up your tank. Now, things like, um, you know, hamburger mints, uh, ground beef are, uh, you know, going through the roof. Basic things like chicken wings are yeah, hang on, just, just go back to the, the hamburger mints. I mean, that's poor folk food. Yeah, yeah, it's your building block food, you know? Well, what sort of prices were you seeing in the US? Well, I don't know why they call this stuff hamburger helper, Tim. I think it does just fine by itself. Um, <laughs> uh, look, I think it's something like, you know, six bucks a pound, which works out to 12 bucks, you know, or so um, Australian uh, per kilo, 12 bucks US per kilo, which is like about, you know, $18 Australian per kilo. Now, well, you're, you're almost paying chicken wing money for things. You're almost paying chicken wing money. And in fact, while we were there, there was this great tweet that somebody said for a menu somewhere where it said, you know, such, such, such price, chicken wings, market price, you know, like it was the halibut that was flown down fresh from Alaska <laughs> that day, something like that. Um, you know, so... Chicken wing futures. You'll be, you'll be following it on the NASDAQ next. Yeah, get, some, yeah. get some chicken coin, you know, that's going to be my new cryptocurrency. Oh, James, did you see any of those stickers that people are people are sticking on, on products? I did that. I didn't. I looked for them, um, and I wish I'd managed to get myself some to drop a few around the place. But, you know, what... Just, just explain what these are, James. So these are stickers that people put on petrol pumps on, like, where, you know, the price is, you know, per, per gallon. And it's Joe Biden, and he's pointing at it like this, and it says, I did that? You know, so it's just to remind everybody, <laughs> um, you know, just how... And then, but there's there's other ones that that, that say yeah. There's Kamala saying, um, oh no. There's Nancy Pelosi saying, and I helped. And then there's another one that, and then there's another one of Kamala saying, and I just. Sucked. Oh, 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 oh! Fantastic show here, Freddie. They're they're putting those stickers on um, on items in the in the produce section of supermarkets. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well. No, and so, so people are. It's are got really, a universal really application. Concerned about inflation, you know, and then the price of energy. So heating oil. Remember, it's freezing cold up there right now, and so the cost for heating oil—you yeah. got to heat your house. Um, you know, they're furious about that. They're furious about um, Americans don't tend to care too much about foreign policy until something goes wrong. They are furious about Afghanistan. Um, yep. And that this was seen as just a vastly humiliating defeat, you know, even if... Well, some of them are still in yeah, Afghanistan, of um, course. And, of course, you know, the thing is that everybody with kids wants their kids back in school full-time yep. with no more nonsense from the teachers' union. They want them out of the masks. They want, um, you know, they want their education uh, back. And, you know, part of mm. that also goes into, you know, a lot of the sort of the cultural issues like, you know, critical race theory and, you know, uh, the trans agenda and all those sorts of things. Oh, they don't teach it, James. They don't teach it. No, exactly right. So when you try and ban it, they lose their minds. So I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, it's a weird thing, isn't it? They, they keep – because if, if, stop, if something in the education curriculum is not specifically uh, labelled critical race theory – all the lefty teachers unions say, well, there you go. There's no yeah, such thing as no critical actual, race theory being taught there's here. There's no actual mention of Herbert Marcuse, so what's the problem? Yeah, there's just it's just that all the whole structure of it is critical yeah, race yeah, theory. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, uh, you know, let's have a whole crystal knacked and lock up all the Jews in a ghetto, but this isn't Nazism because we're not Nazis. No, no, we're not no. called it, Nazis. It's only sparkling anti-Semitism. Um, exactly, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, so people are furious about those three issues. Um, and at the moment, the Democrats are absolutely... 
you know, heading forward. It's early days. I mean, a lot can happen in, you know, the eight or nine, 10 months until November. But, um, uh, you know, but, but, but at the moment, the Biden administration has absolutely nothing to run on. People are furious. Um, and mm. unless things start to look a lot better soon, you know, you've got this incredible situation where, um, you know, and then, you know, they're also now they're so desperate that now that they're basically saying, well, if we don't get this voting reform passed, um, then somehow the election will be illegitimate. So, you know, you know, so we spent a year now being told you're not allowed to question the 2020 presidential election. And then, you know, they're already saying, but the next congressional elections, those are completely illegitimate because we're going to lose using the same voting rules that won us 81 million votes in the presidential election, which you're not allowed to question. So it's all very confused. And every election prior to that as well. All of those elections were just hunky dory, apparently. Apart from every time a Republican. Yeah, well, won. and and you know, and so what's what's truly amazing about this is, you know, the um, the freefall of this administration from the uh, you know the highest number of votes ever received in a presidential election to being historically completely underwater compared to just about any other presidency. At this point, I'll tell you another thing that you heard a lot. I heard from so many people, and I believe this. I believe that this is, um, mm. you know, exactly how this is happening because you know so many people I spoke to, they all basically said the same thing. You know, I voted for Biden uh, last time around because I want things to calm down and get back mm. to normal. And yeah. now they say the Biden administration has been such a disaster. I wish we could have Trump back. You know. Um, the stability of the Trump years. Yeah, the stability. Well, it's the, st- you know, I mean, look, at least it's... The statesmanship of the man. So now, you know, the stability is just, you know, prices are all going in one direction and, uh, you know, the economy is going in one direction and it's just stably flying up or down, you know. So, look, tell me this isn't true. We, we heard a rumour, like, you, you've, you've already you've already put forward the idea that Trump may run again in, in 20, uh, 2024. Uh, but, look, we hear... Or we came through loud and clear the story that the most likely candidate for the Democrat will be, wait for it, Hillary, <laughs> Hillary Clinton. Oh Lord! Please, please tell me this is not true. Surely not. Well, a I would hope it is not true. I mean, my God, you know. Um, but, but the fact that people are even talking about this tells you something, which is that the Democrats' bench is so shallow. You know, because they spent the last 20 years trying to get Hillary um, into the White House. And so they've got no succession plan. They spent 20 years trying to get Hillary in. And that meant that any governor, any senator who looked promising, and they should have a whole bunch of guys in their 40s and 50s and 60s now who can all be duking it out in primaries and, you know, and so on. Um, You know, they don't have it because they're all told, you do not go anywhere near the national stage or Hillary will mess you up. This is Hillary's turn. Do not screw it up for her. This was the message that the Democratic establishment had. And so now they've got nobody. Hillary didn't get in. Um, They've got this senescent Joe Biden and his even worse um, Kamala Harris, who, you know, does that weird shrieking and laughing at incredibly inopportune moments. God knows what's going on up in that brain of hers. Um, You know, so, so, they got Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard's yeah, a pretty right? talented. Yeah, but she's uh, she's going to be the Democrat base. Yeah, she's never coming around on the Republican side. But um, she's she's yeah, too normal. Yeah, but I mean, on the Republican side, you've got a lot of people. You've got um, Ron DeSantis, um, Nikki Haley. I happen to think, and you know, I'd put my money on this that Mike Pompeo is going to make a big hard run on that. And if you look, um, mm-hmm. go check out the New York Post today or whatever. Go go Google up New York Post and uh, Mike Pompeo. He has a big op-ed. Uh, in the paper, which is basically a manifesto against the Democrats. And I think he's even formed his own uh, political action committee. So, you know, he's very, very active. And I'll tell you what, as the foreign policy situation gets more and more chaotic, I would say that there's a likelihood that um, that his his stock will, will start to rise as somebody who will be seen as, as somebody who has the ability to... Um, untangle shall we say to use a nice unword speaking of foreign policy would 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 pompeo let let novak djokovic into the country mate is, is he <laughs> that I, I serious think, i think pompeo would would let novak djokovic in um but i mean i think that he would have oh mate the guys the guys yeah. obviously a winner then james uh, you mentioned before democrats in the 40 50 60 age bracket they actually do have a lot of those people but they've all resigned in the last few weeks 
Well, yeah, I mean, you've had a whole bunch of people just say. I think it's up know, to twenty nine. Yeah, they're all they're all tapping out because yeah. they see what's going to happen. So, you know, that <clears throat> almost you know starts to lock in, and you, know, you can't get cocky about these sorts of things, but it starts yeah. to to lock in. Um, you know that that Republican possibility because, of course, they've got to go through the primary processes and choose new candidates who are going to be unknown. Um, to, They're doomed, man. To They're the doomed. local electorates, you know. It's going to be fascinating. Well, look, let's before we wrap up. Uh, you, you've arrived back. You're starting another series of outsiders. Uh, you're in Canberra a lot, of course, in your role as political federal political editor for the Daily Telegraph. Uh, we've got an election coming up here too, haven't we? Almost certainly in May. In fact, I think we could confidently say it's in May. Uh, what's your feeling? How's it going to go? Oh, look, it's this is going to be the closest of close races. There's simply no appetite. I can feel there's not a big elbow groundswell. Nobody's sort of falling in love with Albo in that sort of weird way that they did for Kevin 07 back, um, you know, what was that, 14 years ago. Um, but at the same time, the Morrison government really needs to have something big that people can coalesce around as a big idea for the next term. I actually think a lot of pundits think that, that he's gone. I, I'm not willing to say that yet. And one of the things I think Albo has done very, um, I think he's made a big tactical and strategic mistake here, is he has hitched his wagon to the pandemic, and the pandemic is over. Yeah. Like, within weeks, it's going to be done. By May, you know, everybody's going to be like, on with their lives. And you could see where he has backed himself into this corner because he always says, oh, well, you know, I follow the health advice and I follow the premiers, which, you know, used to be like this, yeah, but, but it, now he, it's going he, like this. He used, to, he had he used AMA. it the other day, James, justify not shaking hands with the prime minister. I haven't heard anyone advising Ian shaking hands since um, the early days of, you know. To... Oh, Christ, are we still doing yeah, he's this he's, Is he going to bring that back? Oh, God help us all. Are we going to do the, the foot bump, the foot tap? Remember He'll be that wearing one? fluoro God. shirts like it was the 80s or something. Yeah, but no, 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 no. So, so we saw this with, um, you know, McGowan, and he says, oh, well, you know, I back McGowan in. I back in the health advice. And then the AMA says, the AMA, yeah. which is basically the CFMU is stethoscope. Oh, totally. And total wishes on COVID, too. And they say, no, 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 McGowan screwed this one up here. You know, he should really just opened up. There's no better time to do it. Just do it now. Um, and now he was asked about this at the press club on Tuesday. And um, Albo had sort of backtrack and shilly-shally his way around that. And he still wants to build quarantine camps. I mean, what the hell is that all about? So he doesn't have a vision, I think, for post-pandemic Australia. And until he articulates one, mm. um, you know, people are going to worry about that. And also he's got the other problem that, you know, he is an inner-city candidate. Mm -hmm. I'm coming to you live from the electorate <laughs> right now. Um, and that... that um, you know, is going to have trouble playing again um, in places like Queensland because people aren't going to believe that he's really going to be able to find them jobs that pay as well um, in, you know, installing solar panels or doing whatever um, as they're getting in the mines. Well, let me let me put a scenario to you that, that in fact what we're seeing in the United States is a foretaste of what will happen here. A, a progressive left government comes to power with not much an agenda and ends up getting pushed around by the loudest voices on its side, which happened to be the mad, woke, you know, extremist What, the side. AFL? And we'll end up with the... <laughs> I'm not looking forward to this year at all. This is terrifying. Oh, gosh, what if Collingwood yeah. won government? But look, we'll end, up, we'll end up with the wokest government ever well, in Australia. I actually think just to bring it... I mean, that's, that's, that's a possibility. But, Nick, I think one of the things that this week has done is it may very well have started to shift the tide on some of this because the whole Grace Tame thing and a lot of the reaction around that um, and the way, you know, people like PVO were, you know, <laughs> dared to be taken on by Amy Ramikas. And I admire your bravery in, 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 in even raising <laughs> you know, PVO. You know, you know, I mean, does she get a Victoria Cross for this? Um, <laughs> the, um, uh, you know, but people are starting to see actually kind of the nature of that woke agenda and, they're going to start because Australians at heart are really sensible people. Yeah. That is, you know, the, the number one word about Australians, and they don't go for extremism. Um, and that is a great thing about Australia. And they're going to look and see hang on, a government that's going to be listening to the loudest voices of the loopy Twitter left. Um, I think that's actually going to be something that is going to start to come and bring back votes to the government that might be flirting with a change because they think, oh, you know, enough of this guy or yeah, whatever. Yeah. 
James Morrow, we've been waiting for an excuse to get you on the show. We couldn't find one, so we got you on there anyway. And we're really glad we did. And uh, love to have you back again soon. Gentlemen, it's been great fun. And uh, hope to do it again sometime again soon. Thank you. Hey, James, have a look at this before you just go. This is, um, let me see if I can get it in the middle of the frame here. Oh, the molasses tank. Okay, it was Boston. You win. You win. Anything about your liquid <laughs> condiments and, uh, and fatalities... I'm your, I'm your go-to guy. I'm your well, you ace researcher. Well, you know that uh, County Mayo in Ireland was named for the great Mayo disaster of 1683. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, they were just they were just coming off a f***ing potato famine, and then they get drowned in yeah, mayonnaise. Yeah, exactly right. You know, and I mean... It was horrible. It was horrible, <laughs> it was. <laughs> so much. There was Hellman's coming down the mountain. <laughs> what do you mean? Know, it was the whole leg scuff. <laughs> hey. No, the whole town got emulsified. Great grandmother, it did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, anytime. See you guys. James Morrow, look, as we foreshadowed in that discussion with James. Uh, I thought Kamala Harris did at least one useful thing this week. I've been always puzzling over this phrase, the most vulnerable. Who are the most vulnerable? Well, have a listen. We are focused on the most vulnerable. And based on my experience, the most vulnerable are women and girls, racial and ethnic minorities, LGBTQI plus people, indigenous people, people with disabilities, migrants, and children in the foster care system. When we identify who is most vulnerable, we can tailor our tactics and improve our strategy. Well, I, I ran those numbers, run those categories through. And um, so, I mean, you start with women, women and girls. Well, that is actually 51% of the American population. You add on racial and ethnic minorities, indigenous people, people with disabilities. Believe it or not, 25% of Americans have got disabilities, the most common one being obesity. Uh, children in foster care, LGBTQI, that's about 5.6. Uh, so you're you know, adjusting for double counting because that's the problem with intersectionality. It's a very, very many people have multiple reasons for being victims. I come out to 73% of the American population is covered by her definition of the most vulnerable. The only people that aren't in there, as far as I can work out, are straight, white, able-bodied males who are not in foster care. <laughs> Interestingly, Nick, one of the most powerful individuals in American history qualifies on three counts, Oprah Winfrey. Oh, yes. She does, yeah. I think. Poor, vulnerable billionaire. You know, no such thing as a homeless white good dude, apparently. Well, you know, she, you know who else she left out is uh, recently bankrupted small business people. <laughs> yes, in black neighbourhoods. Who are standing on the edges of bridges. Yes, and, um, and people, who's, uh, people whose businesses were destroyed by the Black Lives Matter crew. Exactly, and, yes. And that was overwhelmingly in black neighbourhoods. Yeah, but like, we hand it to them, I mean, on, on paper... Uh, they've got a convincing electoral majority there, haven't they? Of all 73% <laughs> people carried by that. But who's going to fund it? Uh, Oprah. Who's Tim, you ever felt vulnerable? I feel vulnerable all the time. I presume I'm not the most vulnerable, though. No. Um, last time I went to Baltimore, I was in Baltimore and felt a little vulnerable. That was... Um, I'd, I'd wandered into a neighbourhood that I'd previously spent quite some time in, and it, um, Baltimore had changed let's say. Its <laughs> demographics had shifted somewhat. Yeah, that was slightly vulnerable. Um, I did get searched once in Mexico by a cop with a submachine gun. Really? That was, yeah, it was a slightly vulnerable feeling. Yeah. And um, You weren't strip searched though, were you? No, I've been strip searched as well. Um, and, you know, not all the time involuntarily, <laughs> but uh, there was one occasion. You might remember Waleed Ali almost crying on the project. Yes because he'd been strip-searched when he was leaving Israel at the airport. Yeah. And everyone sympathised with him that he'd been strip-searched by a terrible Jewish person. And he was carrying on as though, you know, this was the most grotesque violation that anyone's ever endured. And I went through exactly the same process. I was singled out. Um, you know, it's just it, they do a fairly, you know, they're fairly vigorous about, you know, making sure that you don't 
carrying explosives into Israel for some reason. They've got some issue with it. And um, I got the full strip search treatment as well, but I don't remember sucking about it like a freaking... You want me to take your clothes off? You're going to be sorry. You're going to be more sorry about this than I am. All right. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't envy the chap doing his job. I mean, you know, it was was a lot tougher in his situation than it was in mine. (laughs) Yeah, but look, it's laughable on one level this definition of the most vulnerable, but on another, it's quite horrible and leads to some very bad policy choices. So, for instance, the Biden administration, out of all the money it's spending on infrastructure, roads, rail, etc., has devoted $20 U.S. dollars to a study to ensure that black people are well served by the infrastructure. You know, so if you build a road, you've got to work out how close it goes to a black neighbourhood as opposed to a white neighbourhood. I mean, this when you get to that level, you just get into policy craziness, don't you? you no mm. sensible decisions are being made whatsoever. It's government by Twitter. It's ridiculous. Uh, another policy that uh, the Biden government there and uh, our Labor friends and the Greens here, they're big on the climate change, of course. And the latest big push is, of course, for electric cars. People love the electric cars. Mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's a born-again greenie lately. I mean, he used to own gigantic Humvees and all manner of things and was a very conspicuous consumer of, uh, of the world's resources. But uh, these days he's big on electric cars, must be driving them. And he, he'll go, you know, he'll, there's many speeches on YouTube and various other places where he's carrying on about climate change. Well... And especially electric cars. Well, Arnie was involved in a bit of a car crash a week or so ago. He um, he was driving... Unfortunate slip of the pedal on his Tesla. No, no. Tragically, <laughs> no. No, he, he... In his... His Nissan Leaf skidded out of control <laughs> on a Norwegian highway. No, in fact, it was a, a massive 6.2-litre V8 SUV, <laughs> one of the largest vehicles you can buy in the US. Well, no, I think it gets... Uh, I think someone made a joke about it getting um, uh, two wheel revolutions per gallon. <laughs> and he crashed into, of course, a Toyota Prius. Oh, no. <laughs> he took out a hybrid. <laughs> Poor old Arnie. So, yeah, I mean, of course he hit a Prius. I mean, it was in Los Angeles, so you, you know, the chances of you hit anything, it's going to be a Prius. But here's this guy. Is there any such thing as a non-hypocritical environmentalist or a climate change activist? They all tend to live large, don't they? Have you guys seen this movie very quickly, uh, this new thing, Sensation on Don't Look Up? I watched it the other night and I was thinking, actually, this is pretty, this isn't bad. It's an allegory for, for the COVID um, uh, uh, fear, and you know, the mm. COVID um, panic and pandemic. Imagine my shock when I realised when actually the intention was that it's all about climate change. Sorry for being a bit naive. Yeah, they're deadly serious. You know, of course, Leo DiCaprio's involved. So, you know, I shouldn't well, of have course. been... Oh, speaking of, you know, utter hypocrites and frauds. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so wouldn't we all love to be living Leo's life? Yeah, not particularly. I'd rather be able to act. But uh... these things, these things <laughs> do come under the category of luxury beliefs. Uh, they are things that... A small number of wealthy, woke people have the luxury of indulging in these luxury beliefs that they wear, much in the same way that people used to wear, you know, designer handbags or, you know, drive BMWs or Mercedes Mm. to show their status. Drive a Tesla. But nowadays, of course, everybody drives a Beamer. You know know who is a very noble exception to this, to to the woke, the elite's um, attitude towards uh, the environment is our good friend Hunter (laughs) Biden. I've spent this week reading Miranda Devine's magnificent book, Laptop from Hell. And, and, you know, for someone who's who's a member of the woke, he is almost endearingly devoid of any... Uh, uh, lecturing about how the poor should live. In fact, he probably wishes, you know, we were all, the whole world could just book into the Chateau Marmont in Hollywood and um, order up uh, order up uh, female company by the hour and illicit substances and we could all enjoy life uh, as we were meant to. And he, um, he interacts a lot more with the, with the poorer end of society than any other Biden. I mean, sure, they're prostitutes. <laughs> That's right. But you know, the, he must have occasional conversations along the way. 
yeah, he's keeping he's keeping poor neighbourhoods, uh, you know, in business. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's all for the single moms. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's he's made a few of them, hasn't he? <laughs> that's right. I think uh, yeah, that was that's the um the grand the grandchild that Hunter uh, that Joe Biden never mentions the one that's the one right, that his yeah. his son had with a, with a stripper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, not every businessman goes woke. Uh, not every businessman uses their, their millions to show their hypocrisy. And, and I want to do a big shout out for Jim Penman. Jim Penman uh, gave me a bell this week to have a yarn about a few things. Jim Penman, you'd know Jim. You've seen Jim's Mowing, that fantastic oh, yes. franchise. Jim, I used to think there was, when I lived in Prospect, I was the first time in South Australia, I saw these Jim's Mowing vans. I thought, oh, Jim, he's a smart guy. He's got it. <laughs> and then I went to, I kept seeing them everywhere and realised this was a brilliant franchise. Well, Jim is is a, a great guy. He runs a great franchise. And, and you'll remember he famously took on Dan Andrews. Yes. He said that, they, that all, his pe- all his people, independent small businessmen, franchisees, worked in the open air alone mowing lawns. Why should they be stuck at home and quarantined? And uh, he... Paid a, paid a big fine for that. But good old Jim for standing up. Good on you, Jim. Yeah. You know, there was there's actually one class of worker that, that survived through all the lockdowns who also worked outdoors and in the end worked alone, and that's tram drivers. They they were they remained employed throughout the entire lockdowns in in, in Victoria or in Melbourne. So, you know, if, if lawnmower, operate, lawnmower uh, men weren't allowed to work, then why the hell were tram drivers out there? They were working alone as well. They didn't have any passengers. <laughs> That's exactly Crazy. right. Well, do we hope that the Omicron thing is, is COVID's last stand? Do we really believe have we? That? Who's caught it out of us? I've had it. You've had it. You know, I checked the figures today. Do you know, since the middle of December, 1.5 million Australians, that's approximately one in 20 Australians, have, have contracted that's the ones we know. They're the ones who've been tested and reported it. So you could probably say it's twice that number. Well, there was a list uh, published the other day of all the symptoms, and it was all the all the. Uh, there was about there was a list of about <laughs> yeah, ten, and it was like one runny nose, two sneezing, three cough, four you know headache, and it went right down to eight other. <laughs> Nine, not turning up for work. Yeah. Uh, it's the other that will get you. If you've got other. Oh, absolutely. Every time, mate. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, and the, the, the great thing is that all but 0.08% of these people have lived to tell the tale. And what's more, they're strengthened. They've got natural immunity. We've got to be on the way out of this, except in Western Australia. I don't know if you saw that lamb ad, you know, for Australian lamb at Christmas and they had a it's great about how Australia was opening up, and they had a great map of Australia opening up, which was everything except West Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, this all like, this gave rise to one of the rarest events in Australian political history, a genuinely funny line from uh, Dan Andrews. Oh no, it's true. I was stunned and amazed. Uh, at one point, uh, McGowan, the Premier of Western Australia, was uh, saying that we don't want to go through lockdowns here. You know. New South Wales and Victoria are still in lockdown. And Dan Andrews said, no, well, we're not in lockdown. This is crazy. And, uh, but, you know, we don't, don't want to start a big rift about it. Uh, our ambassadors will speak. <laughs> so Dan, even Dan is recognising the, the, the alien nature of Western Australia. Clive Palmer's gone one up on him on that joke because mm. uh, Clive Palmer is now suing Mark McGowan right. for defamation. And in the Sydney. case is going to be heard in Sydney. <laughs> and for some reason or other, the judge has said uh, to McGowan, no, you can't attend via Zoom. You're going to have to appear in person, which means if he doesn't lift the, uh, the um, restrictions on re-entering the state, he's going to have to conform to his own uh, re-entry conditions, which is a couple of weeks in isolation. We were saying last week, Tim, that McGowan has played had played a blinder last week because either way he wins yeah. with with these conditions that he's pa- placed on Western Australia. Well, in this instance, mate, either way he loses. So because if he lifts the restrictions, it's going to look like he's lifting it for his own benefit. Yes. And if he doesn't lift the restrictions, he's going to look like an idiot because he's locking himself up. He's the um, He's, he's the Neil Young of Australian <laughs> politics. He's going to cancel himself. Good call. <laughs> hey, maybe we can um, 
gin up some sort of lawsuit, we can like hit hit Jacinda Ardern with a defo suit, get her to come to Sydney, <laughs> and then I, I think the rules are you could never go back. Like uh, like <laughs> she'll be stuck stuck at the right, airport yes. or something. I love it. The six o'clock squirrel takes legal action against <laughs> Jacinda Ardern. Well, she is a listener. That's about it, guys, for the 6 o'clock twirl. We've been getting some great feedback. Big hi to Old Ranger in Victoria. And and um, don't forget, you can email us at nick at radiobcc.com. Uh, if you would like, we are in desperate need of a sponsor. If you want to sponsor the 6 o'clock twirl, if you want to advertise on us, just contact us. Jacinda, Jacinda, that's a message to Jacinda there. Like... Come on, throw some kiwi yeah, do it. We'd advertise their tourism, wouldn't we, or something, or their wine. I don't mind, but <laughs> we're not fussy. <laughs> but um, thank you for listening. Thank you, guys. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of The Six O'Clock Twirls.